you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We welcome up uh, Andrew, who's going to come and um, deliver the word of God from us. Let's give him a hand. A hand. Andrew, it's so good to have you here. Uh, with us, I'm thankful uh, for your incredible depth of knowledge and expertise, and I'm going to pray for you now. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the word. Uh, thank you that it does not, it, it, when it goes out, it doesn't return empty or void, that you do a work in us through it. We pray for Andrew now. We pray that as he speaks, Lord, that you would give us open hearts, that you would open our minds, and indeed your spirit would be at work in us, making us more and more like Jesus in his precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Uh, friends, it's a great delight to be here. Um, I remember a guy coming and talking with me before all of this started. <laughs> and it's taken a long time for me to get here, but I'm really glad to be here and glad to be preaching. Um, we've already prayed, and so uh, let's just... I, I want you to have your Bibles open at those passages, Exodus uh, 28, 29. Um, and I wonder if I could start today with a quick quiz. I want you to think about words that used to describe God in the Bible. If you were to use a single word to describe him, what would it be? Just one word. Now, I think there are some star words in Scripture that will immediately come to mind. What are they? Uh, love would be one of them, wouldn't it? After all, the Apostle John says these words in 1 John 4.8. God is love. It's a star, isn't it? Can you think of others? Other single words that describe God. Now, I want you to ask if your word is ever repeatedly added together in the same verse. That is, you get in one verse the same word said repeatedly. I think there's only one word describing God in the Bible that is repeated three times in a single verse in the Bible. If you know that word, write it down and show me later on. Tell your neighbour quickly so that they know that you did know it. <laughs> Do it now before I press on. Now, I can only think of one. One word describing God repeated three times in a single verse. The place that it occurs is in Isaiah chapter 6. It is the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne. He's surrounded by angelic beings and they are crying out to each other. And this is what they were saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. The only word used three times in succession to describe God in the Bible. Isaiah is so overwhelmed by that statement about God that he immediately goes on to say this. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, in the presence of a holy God, sin is obvious. Sin is sin. Humans are sinful. If that is the case, help is needed. Without it, God can only be remote. If God is holy and we are unholy, we can't come together. We can't, God cannot be related to. He cannot be accessed. Humans cannot be right with him. 
Humans are isolated from him, the God of all the earth. Friends, that's the context of our passage in Exodus 29 to 30. So have your Bibles open, have a look at it with me. The story of Exodus has been plain. God loves his people. But God's people are sinful. The golden calf incident will tell us later on that God wants to bind himself to those people, but it's hard if they're sinful. He wants to go with them, but they are sinful. And these chapters give us an insight into how this might be possible. These chapters show us how a sinful people can live with a holy God, the God of all the earth, and he can be present with them. It is possible through an elaborate system of sacrifices, through protections, through processes, through making sure holiness is observed, through making sure that those who look after the spiritual health of the people of God approach God rightly and properly. So before we start today, I need to tell you that I think that I scored one of the most difficult passages in Exodus. <laughs> and so Guy thought, yeah, if there's one that I could invite Andrew to come and speak at, this would be it. And I don't want to do it, so... <laughs> Sorry, Guy, but we're friends, so it's all right. Um, but it is one of the most difficult. It, it contains things strange, things unfamiliar, things that feel a bit weird to us. So with that introduction, let's get down to work and see what we can learn about our great God and his ways with his ancient people. You see, what we learn will help us knowing how to relate to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the same God. Now, having introduced our subject, let me give you a bit of background to these chapters. So, now I know you've been working through Exodus, and if so, you've undoubtedly been introduced to the tabernacle. So let me highlight what the tabernacle is about. The tabernacle is basically a picture of who God is and what God wants for his people and his world. Exodus 35, verse, or 25, verse 40 says, it was a model of a heavenly reality. And if you knew the ancient world, you'd recognise some of the familiar things. You see, you'd see that the tabernacle looked and felt like a royal palace. Now, that's hard for us to imagine, but that's what it was. For an ancient person, you'd think, oh, oh I, I feel like I'm in a throne room. The throne room was the Holy of Holies. And it pictured God's ideal. God's ideal was what? That he, the Lord, resided among his people as their acknowledged king. But the tabernacle also looked like and felt like the Garden of Eden. In other words, it represented God living among his people just like he lived and walked among his people in the Garden of Eden. Then in chapters 25 to 27 of Exodus, we focus on the intimate design of the tabernacle and the furniture. We find that as you go from the centre out, you move from the holiest items to the least holiest items. It's as though it's a risky thing to come closer and closer and closer to God, to the Lord. And that's a common story in the Bible, isn't it? If God is holy, if God is overwhelmingly good, if God hates evil, then we humans are in trouble. And chapter 19, verses 12 to 24 shows us the sort of things that might happen. I don't know if you remember this story or you preached, it was preached on. Mount Sinai is pictured as the place where God is present. And the Lord tells Moses that the people need to take great care not to come through. It will result in them perishing. For God is holy 
and access to him needs to be needs great care and careful attention it needs careful representation by appropriate people access to god is not simple great care must be taken for all humans are sinful and the lord is the lord the lord the holy god he is holy 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 so if god and humans are going to coexist with each other some protection, some processes that are needed will have to, have to happen. And chapters 28 and 29 are those processes where we're just opened up to them. And they tell us the people who are at the centre of all of this. They are God's priests, Israel's priests. They are the means by which this holy God can dwell among, live among, live in the presence of sinful humans like us. They are, the sort of, they are sort of mediators between the two parties, a holy God and a sinful people. They represent God to Israel and they represent Israel to God. That's fundamentally what's going on in those chapters. Now, I could sit down at this point because that's really what the heart of it is, but there's so much more to learn. And it'll be good to make sure you have your Bibles or digital means open there. Let's get started. So, first thing to notice is that the only priests at this time were Aaron and his four sons. Later in the Bible, Leviticus 10, verses 1 to 2, two of Aaron's sons break the very rules outlined here. And they are consumed. Their lives are ended. That leaves only Eleazar and Ithamar. The overall task of that priestly family is laid out throughout the rest of the first five books of the Bible. And they are to stand before the Lord for the people and represent. They are to offer gifts and sacrifices. Hebrews tells us this. And to help those who are ignorant and going astray. They are to teach the people, Nehemiah 8 says. And they are to intercede in prayer for the people. Can you see what's going on? A dynamic. Here's the people, here's God. Let's bring them together and let's do what's necessary for that. As priests, they had particular clothes to wear. They're outlined, look at verses 2 to 5. We're told that the clothing is designed to give them dignity and honour, to set them apart. It shows these are special people. First, verses 6 to 43, there's the ephod. Now, let me tell you a bit about an ephod. It's a sort of waistcoat, and it's made of blue, purple, scarlet, and white linen entwined with gold thread. Fairly exotic, really. Uh, second, there's a breast piece. It's mentioned in verse 15, you'll see. It's a square piece of cloth made the same way as a waistcoat, but it folds upwards like this. Right? So it's sort of folded in half upwards. It forms a, a little pouch, as it were. And it had various attachments and chains to it. And one of particular interest was 12 stones, four rows of three, each of the stones engraved with the names of each of the sons of Jacob. And then there is this stuff called Urim and Thummim. They were sort of mechanisms somehow used for determining God's will. Under the ephod, there was a long, sleeveless, blue robe that reached to just below the knees of the priest. Along the hem of that were blue, purple and scarlet pomegranates and golden bells. I often wonder what this man would have been like walking along, <laughs> jingling a bit, right? And all these things all over him would have been quite incredible to see. The movement of the priest caused those, you see, those bells to jingle. In other words, they were an indicator. He was, why would, why would you need a jingle? to know that he was working inside. <laughs> Does that make sense? You could hear him jingling 
So you knew, ah, he's at work doing the stuff he should be doing. Um, in other words, they were an indicator he was, everything was okay. The people were still being represented by God inside. But there's another item mentioned, mentioned verses 36 to 39. The turban or the mitre. It had an engraving on the front that said, Holy to the Lord, verse 36. So that's the gear of the sons of Aaron. Verses 40 to 43 tell us that, they are, that there were ordinary priests as well, and their clothing is also described, and its purpose is to give them dignity and honour, literally glory and beauty. And that brings us to our second section, verses 1 to... Uh, uh, in cha- sorry, second section, which is chapter 29. I want you to just have your Bibles open again as we look. First, it's about the ordination of priests. It's about stressing their, the heart of their job. It explains the central task of priests and the seriousness of it. Anyway, look at verses 1 to 9 of chapter 29. In these verses, Aaron is installed as high priest. Sons are appointed as ministering priests. They're consecrated, set apart for those tasks. And they're told these sorts of things. How to sacrifice, what to sacrifice, what not to sacrifice, how not to contaminate the sacrifices, that is, avoid yeast, basically, Uh, how to prepare properly, that is, how do you wash properly beforehand, and what to wear. And then they're anointed for the task in verse 7. And all of those details amount to an ordination. It's like you don't have to do that with your pastor, isn't it? (laughs) And all of these details amount to that. That's what's said in verse 9. Now let's turn to verses 10 to 12. A bull is brought as a sin offering to atone for any past sins committed. They place their hands on the bull's head. In effect, they're laying laying their sins on a sin bearer. Then the bull, having received the sins, as it were, is slaughtered as an act of appeasement or atonement. In verses 13 to 14, the choice parts of the animal are burnt. However, this time the offering is completely offered. I wonder whether it represents a wholehearted dedication of every part of the being of the priest to God. And that is said to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 18. Then we come to 19 to 21. There's another ram. This time, not related to the sacrifice for sin. No, this time related to consecration. The ram is slaughtered. The blood from the ram is taken and touched to the lobe of the ears of the priests. Ears, of course. What do you do with ears? Here. So their ears are consecrated to hear the word of God. I think that's what's going on. The blood then is applied to the thumbs of their, of their right hands. The hands of the priest, what do they do? They perform the task of mediating. The blood is applied to the big toes of their right feet. Why would that be? Perhaps that means they are to be walking examples to the people of how to walk before God. Finally, blood is then mixed with the anointing oil and sprinkled on Aaron and his sons. They've now been fully consecrated to the Lord. In verse 22, there's another ram. This is called the ram for ordination. Verse 22, the choice parts of this ram are waved before toward the altar and back. It possibly says that there is sacrifice given to God and then received back by the priest for his use. 
then the breast is waved. The thigh is given as a fellowship offering to the priest. In verses 31 to 34, the ram for ordination is cooked and eaten by Aaron and his sons, and the leftovers are burned. Now, we're getting right to the end now. I, I hope it's been helpful just to try and indicate to you what's going on. We're given more details and instructions that are given to Moses. Then we're given a prophetic glimpse into Israel's future. But the climax goes to the final words. Look at them. What is the result of all of this work? Verse 45. The result is that the Lord will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. This is God's goal. A people for his own living in his company. Friends with him. A people who are cleansed from sin. A people free and atoned for with access to the God of all the earth, the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God dwelling among his people. Friends, let's see if we can summarise what we've learnt in these chapters. The Old Testament, the whole Bible is clear. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Humans are sinful. Sinful, sinful, sinful. What will happen if the two come into contact with each other? Possibly death. So what is needed? Mediation and atonement. Priests were the mediators. They represented God to Israel and they represented Israel to God. So there are the two chapters. Now, sisters and brothers in Christ, with that in mind, let's move to the New Testament. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Because if you understand these key chapters, and don't skim over them, but understand them, and then go to Hebrews, you'll understand it. It is the most delightful follow-up from this passage. Let me show you. Look at Hebrews 7, verses 11 to 14. Look at what it says about Jesus. It mentions Aaron and mentions the Levitical, therefore mentions the Levitical system. And it makes clear that that was not sufficient. All of that stuff done then was not sufficient. But look at verses 23 to 28 of chapter 7. Look at them, listen to them. They are potent. It speaks of the Levitical priesthood system, the one we've just looked at. It speaks of the priests described in our passage today. And it says, those former priests, verse 23, were many in number. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his, he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He doesn't die. He's there interceding for me. He always is at it. For it was indeed fitting, he says, verse 26, that we should have such a high priest. Holy. Innocent unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, for first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their wickedness as high priests. But listen to this. But the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. 
Isn't that grand? Can you hear it? This is our great high priest. The one who represents us, if we're Christians, before God. The one who is God himself. That is, he represents God to us. He represents us to God and God to us. He is God. He brings us God. He atones for sin once and for all. Not repeated every year. No, we have great intimacy with God, friends. Great forgiveness. A great representative. But, but, but. He did it at great cost. He did it at the cost of his own life. Now, if you're Christian here today, if you know God, please know the God you are dealing with. God is not your mate. Know Jesus. Jesus knows your world. He became what all other high priests before him could not become. He did what all high priests before him could not do. He atoned for your sin by offering himself to God in your place. And do you know what? He ever lives now at the right hand of his Father, ever making intercession for you. Isn't that overwhelming? Isn't it overwhelming? The picture today shows you what is needed. If you're not Christian here today, you need it. If you are Christian here today, you know you need it. You need forgiveness. You need atonement. You need to be friends with the God of all the earth. You need salvation. And it can be found only in one place. It can be found only in a human who can bring you to God. Represent you. A true human, a human who is God, only such a person can do this task. So trust in him, believe in him, rely on him, accept what he has done for you and thank him, not only with your words, but with your lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for you know who we are. You know what we need. You knew it so much that you sent your only Son. Thank you for all that he did. And today we believe in him, trust in him, rely on him and accept what he has done. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.